God, we thank you that you have loved us immensely by giving your son Jesus for our eternal salvation. Help us out of gratitude to love you with our entire self, heart, soul, mind, and strength. For Jesus' sake, amen. Please be seated. God's grace and peace to you, friends. I want to begin the message this morning with an admittedly stark question. If you were to die today, how would you be remembered? How would you be remembered? What would people say about you? How would you want to be remembered by those who know you? I would hope, for example, personally speaking, that I might be remembered as, as a good husband to my wife, first of all, as a good loving father to my children, as a faithful minister of the gospel. I would hope I might be remembered for those things and more. What would you want to be remembered for? And how would you measure those things? What would be your measures of, or we can use the word success, in the legacy that you leave behind? We are in a sermon series called God is Hiring. Are you ready to work for him? We've been focusing on how God has done the hardest work of all for us in giving his son Jesus to die for us and rise again to accomplish our salvation. He's given us that as a gift. And he calls upon us to respond with gratitude by being willing to serve him. God is hiring. Are we ready to work for him? And today's focus in this series is on God's vision for the Christian life. In other words, what does the Christian life look like in reality? And then how might you measure that? You know, most organizations and businesses set goals and targets for the year. And, and as they shoot for those goals, they have ways of measuring whether they're attaining their goals. Measurements of success, if you will. If we're to take that concept and apply it to our Christian living, what might be the measures of success, if you will, for living out the Christian faith? That's what we're going to consider this morning. You know, at one time in Jesus' ministry, his disciples came up to him and they said, Lord, teach us how to pray. They were feeling a little inadequate in the area of prayer. And so Jesus took the time to train his disciples in how to pray. And in the course of teaching them on prayer, he gave them what has come to be known as, of course, the Lord's Prayer, the greatest model prayer of all. This morning, I want us to look at the Lord's Prayer a little more closely and consider it not only as the model prayer for our prayer life, but to see it also as God's vision for the Christian life. You know, Jesus gave this prayer, meaning he must have thought it was pretty significant. And it's my hunch that it's his desire that the petitions in this prayer be fulfilled in the lives of the people that are praying it, in our lives. And as we pray this prayer, that we see those those petitions come alive in our Christian living. 
And so we're taking a look at the Lord's Prayer and observing the measures of the Christian life within this prayer. So let's take a little bit closer look at this prayer. We're going to break it down bit by bit, if you will, and I'm going to use the uh, King James Version of the prayer that is found in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. I trust you probably know the prayer by heart. But of course it begins, Our Father who art in heaven. And right off the bat, with the very first word, we get an important reminder. It's our Father, plural. Jesus doesn't begin this prayer, my Father, as if the prayer is all simply about me, but it's our Father, indicating a sense of community, a community, first of all, that is people brought together through their common faith in Jesus Christ as their Savior, people who share a confession of faith together, a faith that is that is founded firmly on the Word of God. We call it the church. We are a community of saints, a community of believers bonded together. And together we pray this prayer, Our Father. It has a sense that we have a connection one to another. But then taking it even more broadly, if you think about it, we have a connection with every other human being on this planet. Because in truth, every one of us traces our physical ancestry all the way back to the same two parents, Adam and Eve. In reality, we are blood brothers and sisters with every other human being. And praying our Father reminds us that we are connected to all people. And so one measure of living out our faith is in response to this question. How much do you have care and concern for other people, both in the church and outside of the church? How much do you care about other people? The prayer is our Father. It's not our unknown divine deity out there somewhere or our distant higher power. No, it's our Father indicating a relationship, a dear, close relationship between a loving father and his beloved children whom he has made a part of his family. It's a relationship. And you know as well as I that in any good relationship, critically important is communication. Communication within the family. And God, our loving Father, invites us to communicate with him in prayer, just as he has communicated with us through his word and through his son, Jesus Christ. How wonderful it is that God, our Father, gives us the privilege of prayer. Hebrews 4, verse 16 says, Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We're invited to pray. And notice again, it's our Father. We're praying not just for our own needs and concerns, but we pray for one another. We pray for others, whatever their need may be. St. Paul says to Timothy in his first letter, I urge then, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for everyone. So from this opening petition, another measure of our Christian living is an answer to the question, how much do you pray? 
not only for yourself, but for others. The prayer continues, hallowed be thy name. An old English way of saying, Lord, may your name be holy always. May your name be holy. Martin Luther in his small catechism explained this petition with these words. He said, God's name certainly is holy in itself. But we pray in this petition that it may be kept holy among us also. This petition reminds us to honor God in everything that we say and everything that we do. It reminds us that we are to worship Him and Him alone and that we are to live our lives in accordance with the Word of God, which is the guide for our living. Psalm 103 verse 1 reminds us that our entire life is to be one of praise to, to God. It says, Praise the Lord, O my soul, all my inmost being. Praise His holy name. Hallowed be Thy name, O God. You know, this petition is really the fulfillment of the first three commandments, if you think about it. We are to put God first above everything else. We are to keep His name revered and holy at all times, and we are to worship Him regularly. And so the measure of success for this petition might come in answer to the question, how much do you put God first in your life? The prayer continues. Thy kingdom come. Lord, may your kingdom come. When we talk about the kingdom of God, it's really a threefold kingdom, isn't it? We talk about, first of all, the kingdom of power. That God the creator created the universe by his power. And all people live in the kingdom of power, whether they believe in him or not. They all live on this world that God created. We're all members of the kingdom of power. There's also the kingdom of glory. We might call that heaven. The place where we are going through faith in Jesus Christ. We look forward to the day when we enter into eternal glory through faith in Jesus. But between the kingdom of power and the kingdom of glory, there's the kingdom of grace. That place where Jesus rules in the heart of individual people like you and me. By his grace through faith in him. And the kingdom of grace is the one in which we live because Jesus Christ died on the cross in our place. He accomplished your salvation and mine when he stretched out his arms and said, this is how much I love you. And he died in your place and mine. He was damned in your place and mine. He suffered hell in your place and mine so that we would never go through that ourselves. What incredible love that God, our Lord, would give up his own innocent son for us that we might be members of the kingdom of grace through faith in him. Paul writes to the Colossians these words, He, that is God, has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And you see, friends, because we are now in the kingdom of grace through faith in Jesus, we get to look forward to going to the kingdom of glory. How wondrous that is. Luke 17, 21 records the words of Jesus when he said, the kingdom of God is within you. It's within you. It's God's grace that has made you his from the inside out. 
But may I remind all of us that we are not to keep this kingdom of grace to ourselves. We need to understand that there are so many people who are still outside of the kingdom of grace. In this world of some 8 billion people, about 5.5 billion of them don't yet know Jesus as their Savior. Some of them live right down the street from you. Some of them might even be your own family members. When we pray, thy kingdom come, we're not just praying that God's kingdom of grace would be ours. We're praying that it would come among the people around us too, that they too may come to faith in Jesus through what we say and do. So the measure of the Christian life according to this petition might be an answer to the question, how eager are you? to share the message of the kingdom of grace, the message of the cross, the message of the empty tomb with others who don't yet know Jesus. The prayer goes on. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, may your will, as it's done perfectly in heaven, be also done here on earth. In Martin Luther's small catechism, this is the way he explains this petition. He said, the good and gracious will of God is done even without our prayer. But we pray in this petition that it may be done among us also. So how do we know what God's will is? How do we know what he wants for this world and for our lives? Well, we find his will revealed clearly in his word. This is where he shows us what he wants for his people. And we're to measure our lives, you see, by his word. And his perfect will includes, you see, his desire for all people to come to know Jesus as their Savior and to end up in heaven through faith in him. It's why Jesus gave us his great commission to go and make disciples of all nations. He so much wants everyone to be with him for all eternity. That's why our mission statement here at Shepherd of the Desert is very simple, leading people to follow Jesus. Five words, leading people to follow Jesus. That's what we're about. Last Sunday was really exciting. What happened at Mountain View with 13 people being baptized, half of them being adults, I'm excited for March 19th. I hope you will be too. I hope that you will seize the opportunities that arise right around you to reach out to someone and invite them to worship. Invite someone to consider being baptized on March 19th or some other date even. Seize the opportunities around you to give a witness about your faith in Jesus Christ And also to recognize that our witnessing isn't just with our words, it's also with our deeds. We can learn from that story of the Good Samaritan that acts of love are powerful witnesses in and of themselves. Who around you is hurting that needs a Christian act of care? The measure for this petition might be an answer to the question, the two questions. First of all, whom are you leading to follow Jesus? And then, are you allowing God to carry out His will in your life here on earth? That's what we're praying in that petition. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The prayer continues with the words, Give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. 
I think it's interesting that Jesus made a point of using the word daily. Give us this day our daily bread. It kind of conjures up images of the Old Testament Israelites who, led by Moses, were going through the wilderness, the desert, on their way to the promised land of Canaan. And remember what God provided for them on a daily basis, manna from heaven, a special kind of bread food. And he only provided enough for that day. And they were to trust that he would provide enough for the next day. And he provided daily manna, daily food. They were to trust that he would provide what they needed. So in this prayer, Jesus tells us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. I think the word daily is a call to trust God to provide our needs, to know that he knows what they are and he promises to provide them. He may not provide our wants, but he will provide our needs. The question is, will we trust him? Psalm 143.8 says, Let the morning bring me word of your unfailing love, for I have put my trust in you. Is that your prayer too? And you see, as we trust God for daily bread, we're also to thank him for our daily bread. Psalm 106 says, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. But as we pray this petition, give us this day our daily bread, I want to encourage us to think about that as not only our physical needs, but also our spiritual needs. That our daily bread includes that which will sustain our body, but also that which will sustain our soul, and spirit. The daily food that God offers to us in his word and in his sacraments. Jesus combines the two, physical and spiritual, in his words recorded in Matthew 6 when he said, so do not worry saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Give us this day our daily bread means first seeking what is most important, the spiritual food that will nurture and strengthen our faith, and then the physical things that will sustain our body. And notice in that petition, it's still give us this day our daily bread. This isn't a petition that says, Lord, give me what I need. Give me what I want. It's give us this day our daily bread. It takes into account that, again, we are connected with other people. And so this is a petition that is prayed not only for ourselves, but for the benefit of others as well. We are to see ourselves as so blessed by God that we are attentive to the needs of others and willing to share what we have with those in need. Much like what you've done here for the food pantry. And so the measure for this petition might be an answer to the question, first of all, do you trust God to provide what you need? And then are you willing to share from your abundance with those in need? The prayer goes on with the petition And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Yeah, this is probably the most difficult one to live out. Let's be honest. God has forgiven us 
a whole lot more than we can measure. I'll just speak for myself. If I had to make a list of all my sins in my life, first of all, I wouldn't be able to remember them all. I wouldn't be able to list them all, and the list would be way too long. God has forgiven me way more than I've ever forgiven anybody else. What he did at the cross is unbelievably gracious. But friends, in response to his love, ought we not be willing to forgive others who have hurt us? You know, carrying out grudges against those who have hurt us really only ends up hurting ourselves. Many of you have heard me say this before, that holding on to grudges is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. It doesn't work, does it? We only hurt ourselves when we hold on to grudges and revenge and and hatred for those who've hurt us. We need to let go of it. The word forgive literally means to throw away, to let it go, and let God set us free from the burden and bondage of, of our own grudge and anger. Paul writes to the Colossians in chapter 3, bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. So the measure for Christian living for this petition would be an answer to the question, how willing are you to let go of grudges and forgive whoever hurt you? That brings us to the last petition of the prayer. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. In typical Hebrew poetry, in a Hebrew way of speaking and writing, those two phrases essentially are talking about the same thing. Asking that God would deliver us out of the temptations of the evil one. It calls us to recognize, friends, that we are truly in a spiritual battle against the invisible forces of evil. Make no mistake, those are truly real. And we are to engage in this battle not on our own power, but recognizing that we need God's help as we face the temptations that the evil one brings our way. Paul issues kind of a a warning to the Corinthians in his first letter to them in chapter 10 when he says, if you think you are standing firm, (laughs) be careful that you don't fall. That's a warning to all of us. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And then he gives us some hope. He says, and God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. In other words, friends, with God's help, we can say no to temptation. I like this quote from Martin Luther one time in his life. In talking about temptation, he said, the birds may fly over your head, but you don't have to let them nest in your hair. For those of us who don't have hair, I'm not sure what that means. But anyway, no, you know, you get the point. Temptations will come our way, but with God's help, we can resist the devil and he will flee from us for the sake of Jesus Christ. And Jesus is indeed the one who can help us. Hebrews 2.18 says, Because Jesus himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. You know, it's pretty daunting thought to think that Jesus himself, the Son of God, who is absolutely perfect, 
experienced every temptation we've ever experienced, and then some, and never sinned. In chapter 4 of Hebrews, it says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. See, with Jesus' help, he, he, he assures to us that we can fight this battle against the ways of the evil one. And we need to be proactive in fighting that battle. St. Paul understood that and he encouraged us in his letter to the Ephesians to engage for battle, to prepare for this battle. He talks about putting on armor. He says in Ephesians 6, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. You can read the entire chapter to read about the entire set of armor that is discussed there. Point being, friends, we need to prepare for this battle and recognize that God has given us the armor necessary. So the measure for this petition is this. How prepared are you for battle against the tempting schemes of the devil? The conclusion of the Lord's Prayer, as we know it, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever, amen, is not a part of the original prayer in Matthew 6. It was added later by the Christian church as an appropriate ending, a beautiful ending to this prayer. It's basically saying that God is to be glorified, that to him belongs the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. And that word amen means may it be so. May everything that we prayed in this prayer be so in our lives. So the Lord's Prayer is indeed not only a beautiful model for how to pray, it also provides us some measures of, we can say, success for Christian living. And as we pray each petition, we're asking that they would be fulfilled in each of our lives. So I want to close with two final questions. They're kind of practical questions, questions to take home with you and ponder further. The first one is this. In what area or areas of your Christian living would you like to grow and improve? We all have areas in which we can grow and improve, right? None of us is perfect yet this side of heaven. We won't be until we enter heaven. But what, in what area or areas of your Christian living would you like to grow and improve? And write that down somewhere. And then follow it up with this question. What is one next step that you will take to grow stronger in living out your Christian faith? One next step. Whatever that is, write it down. Put it somewhere where you'll see it on a daily basis. And pray regularly for God's help that you would grow in that area of your Christian living. And each time that you pray this wonderful prayer we call the Lord's Prayer, let it serve as a guide to your own spiritual growth but also as a stimulus for helping others to grow as well. After all, remember, it's our Father who art in heaven. Amen.